Today, we, we welcome Sister John Sheila Galligan, Professor of Theology at Immaculata University. At Immaculata, she teaches courses including John Paul II, A Remarkable Life, and a course called Embodying Forgiveness. Today, she'll delve into John Paul II's preaching, teaching, writing, and personal witness to mercy. Sister Galligan is no newcomer to study on divine mercy, having participated in numerous speaking engagements and publications on the subject, including her recent 2010 publication in Spiritual Life entitled The Mystery of Mercy. Pope John Paul II led a mission to preach and practice gifts of mercy, leading us today to examine what was, indeed, a life of mercy without measure. Please welcome Sister Galligan. Thank you, and thank you everyone for coming. Uh, I hope everyone can hear all right. Uh, I've been here uh, before to these lectures, and I know it's, uh, how should I put it, it's not the best time to be listening to a lecture at one in the afternoon. In fact, in some ways I think it's immoral, <laughs> because God gave us uh, lunchtime, and then after lunch, everyone feels like taking a nap. And other countries are more sensible, and they have a good siesta. So that's why I brought the PowerPoint, and I brought some images, and hopefully uh, everyone will stay awake. Amen? <laughs> Good. Um, I'm going to start because this is about mercy. Uh, in light of the fact I taught um, grade school for 11 years. I taught first grade. And uh, our tradition says we should celebrate, Jesus says, the childlike. And I found that children, Children are, in a certain sense, like a little Thomas Aquinas. They're mini Augustines. They're mini Thomas Aquinases. And they can say things well. And the beauty of today's topic is that we're, we can all relate to it. Uh, mercy and forgiveness. And children can get us into it very nicely and also maybe give us a chuckle. So there's three children who, in their letters to God, one was little Jennifer, and she said, Dear God, if we come back as someone else, don't let me be Jennifer Horton because I hate her. <laughs> Sin. And then there's Fred. And Fred said, Dear God, I don't know how you can love everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in my family, and I can't do it. <laughs> so think of family. I'll think of our convent, the workplace, and the reality of how are we to love in a wounded world. And the third is little Jane. And Jane says, or prays, dear God, I'm doing the best I can. Amen. Good? So we can all relate because the topic is sin and mercy. Beyond that, our presentation today is focused on uh, a witness to mercy, mercy without measure. And uh, because in his own life, image and gesture, uh, sound, uh, the beauty of words uh, mattered so much, that's why I'm surrounded by images. I brought, because it's the most fitting, this image of John Paul, 
who is on a threshold. This is from Africa in the 1980s, all right? And we would want to remember that with this, that John Paul II's eye was always on the millennium. One of his most read works is entitled Crossing the Threshold of Hope. How many are alert to that one? Crossing the Threshold of Hope. And in that book, he says, and how are we going to cross that threshold? How will we cross the threshold? By trusting in Jesus, because he is mercy. So that idea of moving into a new horizon, a new world, and the threshold is mercy, fits with this beautiful image. All right, and my other image at the, at the bottom of the podium is an older John Paul II. And he has crossed that bridge that is the millennium, and it's in 2000, the year 2000, and of course, that wonderful iconic image at the Wailing Wall. So I hope that situates us nicely, as well as I brought a PowerPoint, not with bullets, <laughs> but with images, and then some of the key texts, because it's hard when they're being read to you, but if you can see some of the key texts, it helps people to get more involved. Amen? So a few words about, just to get us into, uh, John Paul II. Um, I always like to think of uh, the fact that when he died, when any of us die, we have the, the birth date and the death, the day of death. And so we'd have May 18, 1920, and April 2, 2005. But what's important, those dates are important, but what's most important is the dash. <laughs> and that's his life. That's the legacy, each of us too. What's happening in those years? What's in the dash? And he, he was a man who dashed forward. Uh, George Weigel, one of the best of the biographers, he said John Paul II was high voltage. That good? I like that. High voltage, so he had an energy and an enthusiasm. Uh, if we're trying to describe him, just in general to get us into this, you know, he's the, a pastor, he was a priest, he was the pontiff, I like that word because its roots are in bridge, and he was a bridge man, a peacemaker, the pilgrim pope, a linguist, a sportsman, etc., 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 a remarkable life, a remarkable legacy, and of course that keen intellect, so we'll be mining the depths of all of his works for ages and ages and ages. Um, I like to think of his life as one of a, a cinematic intensity because he had a dramatic life and he was a man who loved drama and therefore all of his gestures were dramatic, his tone quality, he was blessed with a resilient voice. Is everybody here a John Paul II fan? Right on, okay, so we've got an enthusiastic group. And I also like to uh, link him with some words from a document that's not linked with mercy, but on Catholic education, ex corde, it's called, from the heart of the church. And he invited all people on campuses to be people of rigorous fidelity and courageous creativity. Rigorous fidelity and courageous creativity. And I think that's what he models here in this journey of mercy, a rigorous fidelity to the tradition. So rooted in scripture, 
rooted in a splendid theological synthesis, in-depth mining of scripture, as well as a courageous creativity, courageous from the heart, and some creative ways of witnessing to mercy. All right, my title, witness, what is a witness? Somebody who has personally experienced, and that's the heart of this lecture, that we meet a man who has personally experienced God's forgiveness, mercy, and then in his own life, having to forgive, having to forgive, so Ali Aja and personal witness, and then making bridges with all peoples. His, his, pat, his um, what would you call it? His diocese was the world, <laughs> was the world, all right? So um, I'll just have one quote, because I think it's beautiful, from Eve Conger at the beginning of Vatican II, and John Paul was present there at Vatican II, and he said, it's visible here, his personality dominates. Some kind of animation is present in his person, a magnetic power, a prophetic strength, full of peace and impossible to resist. Now, wouldn't we all like that to be said about ourselves, yes? A magnetic energy, a power of peacefulness that's impossible to resist. So we have a luminous, a shining example. And tonight, today, particularly in light of this topic of mercy. Okay, so we're going to look at the ABCs, I call them, of mercy in his life. Uh, he was A, asking for mercy, and we're called to do the same. B, he, he practiced mercy, be merciful. And C, a commitment to mercy, to proclaiming mercy, to inviting people to experience God's mercy. I'll give you a test on that later. <laughs> Ask for mercy, be merciful, and commitment to mercy. All right? And we have, I'm not used to doing it this way, but Jeff's here in case there's trouble. There we go. So we're going to begin with, I'm used to having a clicker, not the whole computer and everything else here. So everybody's going to be merciful, yes? Okay. So we're starting with on target, on target. Pope Benedict, and it is Pope Benedict who said, the mystery of God's merciful love was at the center of the pontificate of my venerated predecessor. So we have Pope Benedict's blessing on this and knowing, no, it's not little sister Sheila thinks he's the mercy pope. He, he is linked with mercy. And then in God's plan, and we all know John Paul II is famous for saying, uh, there's no such thing as coincidence. Everything is providence. Everything is providence. And in God's providence, the greatness of John Paul II is God's greatness, that he's a God of mercy. And in God's providence, he died. Providence decided he should die right on the eve of that day, the evening vigil of Mercy Sunday. Mercy Sunday in the arms of divine mercy. And now you all know the beatification news. And what is the date of that beatification? May 1st, I'm used to my classes responding with me. Divine Mercy Sunday, amen? Hallelujah, right? Good. So then we have, aside from his, Pope Benedict's witness, 
John Paul II himself, all right, witness, personal experience and understanding. And he says, right from the beginning, I considered this message my special task. What message? Divine mercy. Providence has assigned it to me in the present situation of man, the church, and the world as my task before God. So this is his vision. This is his mission because it's the church's mission. But he says, I understand this as my task. God has given this to me. On the threshold of the third millennium, so always that idea of the millennium, one author said that this was almost um, a mystical and spiritual moment in time, looking forward to the millennium. So here on the threshold, that language, of the third millennium, I come to entrust to him once more my Petrine ministry. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. I took with me this message to the Sea of Peter and which in a sense forms the image of this pontificate. So we have Benedict's blessing and we have John Paul II himself stating that this is indeed what he is about. Okay, this is a section from uh, John Paul II's planned homily or Regina Chaley address that would have been on the, on the day um, after he died. So uh, he, of course, we know, didn't write it. Yes, he's sick. He's, he's almost ready to, to meet the Lord. But it was planned. And um, if you've studied his mercy writings, you see that in, the, in that little Regina Chaley address are bits and pieces from many of his homilies and uh, presentations on exhortations on mercy. So he presents mercy, and, and I'm, I'm including this because it, it's a densely compact kind of a statement, as a gift to humanity. And mercy is God's gift. And forgiveness in our lives, is, it's a gift. You don't earn it. Giftedness as a gift to a humanity which sometimes seems bewildered and overwhelmed by the power of evil, selfishness, and fear, the risen Lord, the risen Lord. So a focus will be divine mercy, the octave uh, of Easter, and it's the risen Lord. Offers, grants, his love, that what? And the translation is pardons. The better word is forgiveness, that forgives, reconciles, and reopens hearts to love. It is a love that converts hearts and gives peace. So that's a wrap-up of what is forgiveness, a gift, and the purpose of it is to bring us to conversion and there, therefore become better lovers, lovers in light of, of who God is, divine mercy, okay? Uh, John Paul, faithful to the tradition, rigorous fidelity, doesn't say anything new here. He merely re-articulates what is the tradition and uh, that mercy is the greatest of the attributes and perfections of God. So Augustine said that, Thomas Aquinas said that, that's nothing new. But he says that to remind us of this is one of the key, in fact, the greatest of the attributes of God. And then, last one that's, that's so long, oh, I, I'd like to move away, is, that, is it all right if I move away? Um, this 
is uh, densely compact, comprehensive. The consistency of the teaching is in this one statement from his very famous Dives in Misericordia. Dives in Misericordia. Mercy, I've repeated that he repeats it, the perfection. Also infinite and therefore inexhaustible is the Father's readiness. All right, and so a key idea of forgiveness and mercy is always being ready to give the gift. Always ready. Like the father in the famous parable, and we shouldn't call it the prodigal son, we should call it the loving father and the two lost sons. The father is always ready to grant the gift, and we are called to be always ready to grant the gift. Now, if you're like me, I hesitate. I think of some of the people I live with or work, and I think, well, I'm not ready. I'd, I'd rather they go play in traffic. <laughs> no, I can't even think of offering the gift. <laughs> so, you know, that's, uh, this is key here. It's, you know, just getting past that is, is an adventure. Let's put the readiness to receive the prodigal children who, who come home. Infinite are the readiness and power of forgiveness. So that's where I got that mercy without measure. All right, this is infinite and the power of forgiveness. So this is going to be God's kind of power, not the usual power, but the power that is this gift of mercy, all right? And where does it come from? The sacrifice of the son. So we're always rooted in the cross, all right? That's why he's very consistent. Um, difficult to read John Paul II. How many find it sometimes difficult? Not Dives in Misericordia. That one came from his heart, but some documents, because he's a philosopher and they go in circles, no philosophers here, that's good. <laughs> no human sin can prevail over this power or limit it only because we are free, only a lack of goodwill on our part. A lack of what? There's that word, readiness. You have to be ready to give and ready to receive forgiveness. Can limit it. Uh, a, a, a lack of readiness to be converted and repent or a persistence in obstinacy, okay? So you see how that is a good comprehensive uh, statement there? Okay. Um, within the tradition, and I know you're going to leave here and you're going to look up all of John Paul II's mercy documents, right? And then when you read them, you're going to see a consistent lexicon all right, the vocabulary is consistent, and we should be alert to his vocabulary. One of the key elements that's part of his teaching, and studies are, are, are now, there's explorations of this idea of a healing of memories. We need to heal the memory, purify the memory. The threshold in the millennium, I've already alluded to that. The idea that this is gift, and what would we think of with that too? Theology of the, the body the gift, so always this idea of gift. We're on a pilgrimage, on a journey, that is the journey of receiving forgiveness and mercy and then becoming ambassadors of that. And then a title for Mary, mother of, mother of mercy, mother of mercy. I wouldn't say that that title of Mary is his, um, is his favorite, because there's others that come through, but mother of mercy dots the documents. That's the documents, all right? And then what is connected with John Paul on this, he said that mercy is love's second name. Love's second name. 
or Henry Nouwen worded it almost the same way. Henry Nouwen said, mercy is the name of love in a wounded world. So if we had to get up this morning and face ourselves and then face others, then of course, love in a wounded world is going to be mercy. You all with me? Yes, all right. And so um, that is his um, unique and creative expression, love's second name. And he articulates here the twofold aspect that is mercy. All right, I, I, if we all think of glasses, my glasses are mercy, and then mercy is exemplified in two ways. And he says it there, in its ability to take upon itself the burden of any need. And so mercy is manifested as compassion. I look at your need, so we had need for lunch today and a lunch is supplied. That's a form of mercy, yes, mercy that is compassion, that's one aspect, and the other is the mercy that is in light of sin, the gift of forgiveness. So all of the time, my love is either manifested as compassion or forgiveness, and the file cabinet, the word is mercy. Amen? Are you asleep? Okay. I thought it was neat in light of God's providence, just a second on this. Um, if we think 1938, 1938, at that point in time in Poland, kind of like a triangle, and only 15, 20 miles distant from each other, you have in Krakow, Faustina, who is dying, all right? You have John Paul, 18 years old, 18 years old. And then over in Warsaw, you have Maximilian Kolbe, who in the end become part of this ocean of mercy. So uh, it's just, well, I think it's, it's amazing to, to think about that. And they didn't know each other. John Paul became aware of Faustina when he entered the seminary and then got connected with the, con the convent and Faustina and her writings. But they were all together at the same time, okay? Oh, did I skip one? Go back. Um, I think I did. Huh? Oh, no, I guess I'm okay. All right. It's okay. All right. Now I'm going. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, merciful ones. Um, now I'm going to zoom through uh, a little bit of uh, the biblical background that, that's important. And then in light of a pastoral focus, mostly the personal witness, and then I hope something new and that would be John Paul II's use of music in healing, the special day of pardon, his visit to the Holy Land, and end with his liturgical influence, which would be Divine Mercy Sunday. So that's the plan, and we're ready to go after that um, introduction, okay? We now come to, let's understand theologically, that he wrote three encyclicals, uh, a trilogy, 
a trilogy that the Trinity is uh, addressed. Of course, he's going to begin with Christ, because Christ is indeed his focus. And then our own document at the heart of it all in 1980, Rich in Mercy, uh, Dives in Misericordia, uh, which I encourage all of you to read. I just found out that the Daughters of St. Paul in their advertisement are saying, back, um, back in print through popular demand. So Dives in Misericordia will be out there, and I like to get a little pocket readable version and not just the internet. How many are like me? Right? I like the little booklet, so uh, you're all encouraged to read that. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. Again, a consistency, and so his teaching roots us in Redeemer of Man. Christ is called the revelation of love and mercy, is a form and a name. Who is mercy? Jesus Christ. In the Holy Spirit, document on the Holy Spirit, just one of many quotes, right? But just to, to situate this, the Holy Spirit converts us from sin, brings us to Christ so we would receive his saving gift of, of mercy. All right, so in between those two, we have the heart of it all, which is this document on, on mercy itself. And I'm going to focus on the biblical and what I believe is his unique uh, invitation to come to understand mercy more deeply all right, aside from we could do you know, many presentations on the layout of Dives and Misericordia and uh, the theology that is there. But he begins Dives and Misericordia with the words, God, who is rich in mercy, has been revealed to us by Jesus as the Father. God, who is rich in mercy, has been revealed to us by Jesus as the Father. And who is this Father? This Father, and in this section of covering the Old Testament texts on forgiveness and mercy, we're alerted to who is the Father? And that's from the Hebrew tradition. And how does God define himself in the Old Testament tradition, the Hebrew scriptures? The most famous creedal statement that's repeated over and over and over again. This morning, anyone who attended the liturgy this morning, the gospel acclamation was a form of this. Even now, says the Lord, return to me because I am merciful and gracious. How many were awake this morning? <laughs> right? That, that's, I thought, oh, this is a good sign from the Lord, right? And this is the text. The Lord, the Lord. And what's the first characteristic? Merciful. Our God is famous for mercy. This God who took flesh. Same God, not a, not a transformation of personality. <laughs> I don't like it when I read, the God of the Old Testament was wrathful, <laughs> full of anger, and the God of the New Testament is loving. Well, it's the same God, so <laughs> what happened? <laughs> right? We have to have a, it's the same God that took flesh. So here's this God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, rich in kindness and fidelity, the famous Hesed Emeth, all right, benevolent love and truth love, forgiving crime, iniquity, and sin, yet, and here's the balance, justice. So we have mercy, 
is always linked with justice because mercy is a form of love and love must speak truth and so justice is is there all right um, and this of course then morphs into the New Testament well I guess I should at the bottom this is hard because I we developed this so much in a course that is why God says in the Old Testament be holy for I the Lord your God am what holy and what is the the basis of that holiness what's so different about this God that he's merciful that's the characteristic that makes him famous that's his credentials amen you don't get all excited about this I do and so to be holy holy in in the Hebrews language meant different separate from how is God different he's merciful and we're called to be different we're called to be merciful New Testament one-liner be merciful as what your Heavenly Father is merciful that's why we have to look back to who is the Heavenly Father who is that Heavenly Father and here we move into um, John Paul II's development okay and it is it's a long development which is a courageous creativity and rigorous fidelity and here you have to look at what I call <laughs> in classes students have to know this the famous footnote 52 <laughs> all right and if you read Dives in Misericordia there is a uh, an expansion on the Old Testament and then there's the little 52 and now when you get your document you're going to zoom right back and you're going to see a long it's a long long footnote and in that footnote John Paul II he did his homework he did his homework and this is what you know to me attracts us to John Paul II's presentation of mercy and he does an analysis of the word mercy starting where not in the New Testament and our translation would be from the Greek into the what Latin misericordia you're, you're all you should see your faces <laughs> misericordia a sad heart a sad heart over sin right but the Old Testament word all right comes from Hebrew root a basic root and the root is Rahem and you all know that the, 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 their, their language, it's consonants, and then, then you, you put in the vowels. Well, even if you don't know that, that's all right, okay? The root is rahem, womb. And the word for mercy is rahamim, same letters, R-H-M. You, you clear? You all right? Right? And so, in the end, what is mercy? What is it? It's not sentimental foolishness. It's not neglecting justice. It can't be earned. No, what is it? What's its essence? And its essence is in, in, in one kind of an image, womb-like love. That's what forgiveness is, womb-like love. Why? Because what happens in a mother's womb? And this is not moving into any kind of a, a feminist agenda of calling God woman. Am I clear on that in public? <laughs> right? It's, it's an imaging of the nature of, of God's love, love and truth. Right? Why is this so wonderful? Because what is the womb? 
the womb, and you have to be in their culture, different in our own, sadly so, but the womb was the place of welcome, that the child was welcome. What happens when there is sin and we are in a state of unforgiveness? Remember I started with those children and we have to think about someone that's an enemy. What, what happens? The person is not welcome within. We hold them under our judgment. That's the state of unforgiveness. Are you with me? Right? They're not welcome because they're the enemy. And we look at them with judgment. And that what, that's what preoccupies us, that judgment. What does forgiveness do? Forgiveness helps us to look at the other with new eyes that now they are welcome within the heart, the geography of the heart, right? Secondly, the womb is the place of new life and forgiveness and mercy over and over and over again, John Paul II would refer to this, the new life, the, the joy that comes from forgiveness. Because when we're in a state of unforgiveness, that is a state of, um, well, I call it smadness. <laughs> Sadness and madness together. <laughs> is that a good word? <laughs> right? And that is death dealing. You become bitter, the gangrene that's inside, and this forgiveness brings new life, new life. Third, the womb is the place of relationship. And what is mercy all about? Restoring relationship. Repairing relationship. Sin, says John Paul II, brings a shattered order. Shattered. And we need to restore relationship. The womb is the place of ultimate relationship. And fourth, the womb is linked with sacrificial love, sacrifice, decision love. And in forgiveness, I have to come to a decision that is sacrificial. You don't deserve this gift. You deserve my judgment and my resentment. But I freely, freely, because I want to be merciful as my Heavenly Father is merciful, I freely decide, first a decision, to offer the gift and then make the long journey of the geography of the heart to change my judgment about you on the inside. Decision and then emotional, emotional process, which is very difficult. How many know? Right? Very difficult. The decision is difficult, but then the journey is difficult. And so in this footnote 52, I brought all these wonderful notes. Anyway, that's okay. All right. Here. Are you all right over there? Yes? Uh, I, I've given you a sample from the footnote so that you're all going to go out right after this and say, I want to read that whole footnote. And he says, okay, we have inherited, oh, I can read it right, now, right from the Old Testament, a special synthesis, not only in the wealth of expressions used in this book but in order to define God's mercy, but also in a specific, and look at John Paul II's language in a footnote, in a footnote. The anthropomorphic psychology of God. He speaks of the anthropomorphic, a psychology of God, a psychology of forgiveness. 
the image of his what kind of love? Anxious love. So it's it's um, evocative language, richly suggestive language, which in contact with evil and in particular with sin is what? Manifested as, as mercy. Mercy as Christ has presented it in this parable. So then I'm jumping, he, he alludes to the parable of um, the loving father because he has a whole section on that. Mercy, as Christ presented it in the parable, has the interior form of the love that in the New Testament is what? Is agape. I mean, this is the heart of it all. At the foot of the cross, all right, the, sacrif the sacrificial element, this love does what? Reaches down. It reaches out. It's always ready to reach, but the person who is the object of mercy does not feel humiliated, but rather what? Restored to value. So in this, John Paul II is very careful to help us know mercy is never the same as pity. Pity can be condescending. It's not a matter of, and I will forgive you. You're so blessed. <laughs> It's always a matter of focusing on the other and their good. And so this little section, the footnote, the section on the parable, distinguishes forgiveness, because John Paul II says forgiveness and mercy are misunderstood in our world. He distinguishes it from uh, what today is very present, therapeutic forgiveness. It's good for me. It's good for me and I'll get along with my life. But you, I don't want to see your face again. Are you, are you following, right? There is that part. Or um, Charles Griswold would be the, the foremost person who says, well, I won't forgive. We can't offer forgiveness until I see repentance. When they say they're sorry, then I'll forgive. But this mercy is no. I offer it before I see that, that repentance becomes an essential component of mercy and forgiveness, but not a prerequisite. Should I say that again? Repentance is an essential component of forgiveness, but not a prerequisite. And all of us like to see a little bit of sorrow in the other. I'm glad you're all still human in here. Okay. So now, with that kind of a, a background to a specific, oh my goodness, the time. All right, personal. Uh, I start with this because in most brochures, in most books, in photo albums of John Paul II, what is it that most touched human minds and hearts? And it is John Paul II's own witness, personal witness to mercy. So we have to have a little bit of, of dates at work here. Um, he wrote Dives in Misericordia in 1980. All right, in 1980. Part of his own historical background. I think I had a slide on that and missed it somewhere. His teaching on mercy is rooted in, in history. And he was the son of the war. 
He was a child that saw mountains of, of corpses, oceans of blood, ruthless evil. So he saw evil in its extreme. And he came then, he says it, to know how much the world needs mercy. It needs this mercy. He also um, saw, well, had in his own life, he had to forgive because of all of his friends, his family, like situations in his own, in his own background. You all right on that? I don't have to overdo, okay? So he, a little bit of phenomenology comes in play here. He, he had experience, he becomes Pope. 1980, he reflects on mercy and writes the document. So here we have intellectual, although it's so readable, right? The intellect, the uh, theological ramifications. 1980, and as ever, writing about something and living it is something else. And so it is in um, May 13th, 1980, 81, 81, after he'd written about it. Now he has to walk the talk, yes? Okay, one of the quotes that appears often in uh, Regina Chaley messages and exhortations, World Youth Day, so I've put one of them here, but they're all, he repeats himself uh, on the issue. And he roots us right away in what we have to remember. Forgiveness is above all a personal choice. One must freely decide to forgive. A decision of the what? Of the heart. And in his own heart, who's in his heart? Christ. Christ. What did George Weigel say? John Paul II said about himself, People think they can understand me from the outside, but can only understand me from the inside. And we, when we look at the terrain that is the inside of John Paul II, what do we find? Christ. We find Christ. Christ crucified. Christ crucified. And so it's a decision of the what? Of the heart. And for him, a Christ-like heart decision. To go against the natural instinct to pay back evil with evil. So I always like to root John Paul in, in you know, good psychology. He's realistic about it all. And here we have the DNA, hardwired response, that God gave us the gift of anger. If someone threatens my well-being, right, and takes two of my M&Ms, I want two of yours, but even more, I want five. <laughs> yes? How many lived through that when you were little? I could tell you some stories about myself and my brothers. Instinct to pay back evil with evil. I'll go against it. The measure, mercy without measure. The measure of such a decision is the love of God. Which God? Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, rich. You're not in my class. All right, so who draws us to himself in spite of our, our sin. And so we come to walking the talk in the hospital. We know the, the event, uh, I think I know this in my head well enough, all right. <laughs> okay, but I thought the image, do you find the images are helpful? They okay? Um, so we know what happened, he's circling. Uh, Aja is well prepared, two shots. Uh, one bullet uh, coursed through the abdomen, perforated the colon, and then tore through the small intestine. So it was a very serious wound. That bullet is the one that uh, lodged then in the Jeep. 
in the Jeep. The other bullet grazed his elbow, hurt his finger, ricocheted into the crowd, and wounded two women, right? And we know that the surgery was five and a half hours. It was a, it was a serious matter. Uh, the hemorrhaging, there was a, um, a blood transfusion that later caused trouble because it was infected blood. So you can go, go into um, more and more about it. Much more has been revealed about that day and the visit to Ali Aja since John Paul II died. Um, Cardinal Jeevish, who was there and wrote the book My Life with Carol, has uh, led, us more, uh, led us more deeply into understanding more. But in light of forgiveness, um, the day that he became conscious, the very next day, his first message was, I pray, within his Angelus message, I pray for my brother who tried to shoot me uh, and whom I have sincerely forgiven. He also asked for prayers for the wounded. And he said, I offer my sufferings for the church and for the world. But we have that first instance of, I pray for my brother. And we have the language that is Christian language. My brother, and he's always saying my brother, my brother, who shot me. <laughs> so uh, certainly, uh, do you remember the, uh, the Amish incident? What is it now, five years ago? Is that that long? I, I can't remember. Uh, the Amish shooting, the journalists weren't so amazed about the shooting. What were they amazed about? Forgiveness, that, that was on the news all the time because this is, you know, John Paul II calls it the, the miracle, the mystery of forgiveness. It's not what we're used to. So we have that very first witness, I, the decision, the decision, okay? And then, you know, in the books, it's okay, he gets better, and the next thing is we see him visiting Ali Aja. But we forget, we forget, no. John Paul II is a human being. <laughs> and he had to work through the process, the decision and then the emotional. And he didn't visit him that Christmas. It was a year and a half later. A year and a half went by. And over and over again in many of his addresses, he situates us in coming to understand. He says, in order not to remain a prisoner of the past, and that's what happens in the statement, in the um, uh, state of unforgiveness. We're a prisoner of the past. I remember what he did to me 45 years ago, <laughs> right? We don't want to remain a prisoner of the past. Individuals and peoples need a healing of memories, a healing of memories. So he had to have a healing of his own what? Memory of that day. This does not mean forgetting, but what? because this is his lesson for us in forgiveness and mercy, but to re-examine them, to look at them again. How? With a new attitude that springs from suffering, because the cycle of revenge must be replaced by what? Forgiveness. And in another place he acknowledges, such freedom, such liberty is fraught with what? Difficulty. So never, never, never that this is easy. Always a cruciform, Christ-centered love, all right? And what is this? Thanks to the power of love, always back to God and God's gift. And so we have this time that goes by, 
And then finally, a year and a half later, and I, I put here the quote because I thought, well, God's grace is everywhere. Time Magazine roots us. I thought it was well done. The reporter deserved an award <laughs> for, for language and the way that he described it. And he said, in an extraordinary moment of grace, the violence in St. Peter's Square was what? Was transformed. And that's the key. Remember what I said about mercy is womb-like love? New life? New life. It's transformed. In a bare, white-walled cell in Rome's Rabibia prison, John Paul tenderly held the hand that had held the gun that was meant to kill him. It was a startling drama of forgiveness. If the Pope spoke in whispers, he also meant to proclaim a message to the world. And that is exactly what happened. So he becomes a witness to mercy in his own life. He reflects later on that day. This has come out more recently. I was able to meet my assailant finally and repeat to him my forgiveness, even though I had already, what, forgiven him. Now he needed that extra step, the bridge crossing the threshold, the horizon. Um, it was not possible to say it before. We met as men, no, as, as brothers, as brothers, okay? Perhaps what all of us don't know, because the conversation was kept secret, is that the first thing that Ali Aja said to John Paul, John Paul comes, ready to grant the gift, and the first words are, why aren't you dead? I have, I know I was aiming right. I know the bullet was a killer. Why aren't you dead? So to meet that would indeed be a, a little off-putting, don't you agree? Yes. Uh, then they had their conversation. I did read somewhere that he, he did ask Ali Aja if he spoke Italian. All right, so we're going to speak a language. At least we can uh, communicate together. Okay, and of course he said later, what we talked about will have to remain a secret. I spoke to him as a brother, and everything I, I couldn't bring today, you know, what we need is imagery. Seeing that visit, seeing that visit, and, and all that's uh, involved with gesture, and the way the Pope tilted his head to listen, and then the embrace, right? Which is the attempt for reconciliation. Uh, Cardinal Jeevish has revealed that in the passing years after that, the Holy Father, as he himself would recall, often recall, so when I say healing of memories, yes, we, we, we still remember, but we remember in a transformed way, never once the words what? Forgive me. He never heard from Ali Aja, I am sorry, <laughs> forgive me. Never heard that. So it's like the parable, the loving father. One son received the gift of forgiveness, and the other one, we don't know. Yes? Um, and then we find that John Paul actually wrote a letter that was never mailed to Ali Aja, in which he said, Dear brother, how could we appear before the sight of God if we don't reveal, forgive each other here on earth? So if you study forgiveness, 
the tools of forgiveness. One of them is to write write things out. How many have read a little bit about that? Right? Write a letter that you, you don't even mail. So apparently John Paul moved into that kind of thing. And then finally, he made the extra effort when Ali Aja's mother would come to Rome. He would, he would meet the mother. He met the family and embraced the family. And so, you know, the, nothing happens that it's one-on-one. It's -on -one. Everybody has a family. Are you with me? Like this, the, the broad-based nature of, of his compassion and his desire to forgive. So he said, dear brothers and sisters, uh, over and over, we have to personally experience mercy. If in turn we want to be capable of mercy, let us what? Learn to... Let us learn to forgive over and over and over. We must personally experience and learn to forgive. And then he said, forgiveness doesn't come spontaneously. Forgiving can actually be what? Heroic. It can be heroic. And so in his own life, that kind of um, matter is heroic. And again, uh, I, this I've used uh, this slide in another place. I'm not going to play it today. But uh, interesting to know that um, Cardinal Jeevish had kept John Paul II's cassock from that day with all the blood. And so this just came out uh, maybe three weeks ago that they're building a, a John Paul II center in uh, Krakow and that this blood-stained cassock will, will be there because that will turn soon into a relic, yes? Are you all right? Are you awake? You're okay. All right, now we're moving along. Okay, courageous creativity. Am I okay to go to 10 after? Because we didn't start till five after. Yes? You need a stretch? All right. So now, some other pastoral aspects, uh, zooming through. Um, this would be, indeed, a courageous creativity. Um, we'd want to remember John Paul II had a special sensitivity in light of his relationships with the Jews. Last year, I came right here to listen to the lecture. Rabbi Dalen, how many were here? Rabbi Dalen, he wrote the book, John Paul II and the Jews. So there was indeed a bond and a, and a very um, deep, deep, deep um, brotherly affection for the Jews and the Jewish people and their, their pain and their suffering, okay? So um, th there is that background. But cre courageous creativity with forgiveness. Um, I'm alluding here to a statement, and John Paul II was at work with, with this document on religious relations with the Jews, and within it, he has this statement, music of all the arts has the capacity to enter directly into the soul to clarify the inner reaches of the spirit. So John Paul II moves into a courageous creativity with using music for healing, music. Uh, the healing power of music. Yo-Yo uh, Ma, great musician, Yo-Yo Ma. Some, some are nodding their heads. All right. Uh, said, healing, healing. I think that's what music is all about. Because music speaks its own language, moves us into the beauty of the beauty, uh, sacred beauty, sacred space, sacred beauty. You, you, yes? Okay, so he, he understood that. Um, the... The act, the, the event, but prefigured by one that just shocked the world was in 1994 and, and there was a concert at the Vatican. And it was a called the, the Shoah Concert. 
a Shoah concert, prefigured by, I have a picture in the corner there, uh, John Paul II in 1979. I should have enlarged some of these, yes, the, the group, but um, he visited Auschwitz in 1979, an uh, intensely poignant, dramatic homily there. And one of the few places where we see John Paul II crying in public. Uh, someone asked him, do you ever cry? And he said, yes, but usually on the inside. But here, that's Auschwitz. The other place there were tears, anyone know? when he had to finally leave home to go back to the Vatican to be Pope. And he's getting on the airplane, and he knows. This is the end of this is home. And, uh, and the tears are streaming down his face. Um, I just like these because they're human, yes? Because yeah, he's a celebrity, uh, but the human. So um, we background his visit to the synagogue in 1986. Mercy. Mercy is being ever ready to grant or to receive the gift of forgiveness. And so he knew there was a distance. If you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that your brother leave, we should all leave the church. I think of that. Yes? When that comes up, you're not right. No one ever leaves. I think, wow, we're a holy group. If you... But he lived it out, distance between the Catholic Church and the Jews, a distance. And so in 1986, the Vatican calls the synagogue in Rome and invites themselves to visit. <laughs> All right, Rabbi Toaf, we'd like to come. And we have the beautiful, iconic imagery there of that visit to, um, to, the, to the synagogue. All right, what John Paul II said, to meet the Roman community, the Jewish community, there in their place of worship. And it is there that he calls them dearly beloved brothers and apologizes, expresses, we sinned, we have sinned, and he apologizes. Now this is 1994, and in between there, I'll promote a book. In between that, we have a new book for a library. This is what everybody should know about, B-O-O-K, books, right? It's probably on Kindle, though. <laughs> all right? Um, and this is called The Pope's Maestro. So we have to know, all right, the Pope was very interested in music. In 1987, Gilbert Levine, a Jew from New York, becomes the conductor of the, Jew, um, the Krakow Philharmonic, and he comes, of course, to meet John Paul II. At the back of this is the story of their relationship, and they even have a DVD of the musical events. How's that for selling a book? <laughs> All right, but Gilbert Levine came to visit and to meet the Pope, and they immediately, something happened, there was kinship, and Levine said to John Paul, you are the one who can bring us closer together, our peoples closer together. So in collaboration with John Paul II, we have um, this concert that was um, the, the concert of reconciliation, the Shoah concert, at which, I've jumped ahead, uh, now <laughs> the Vatican calls and says, we want you to come to the Vatican. 
1986, he goes to visit. Now you come and bring the whole congregation. And so on that night for that concert, uh, another exquisite picture, Rabbi Toaf, John Paul II, sitting side by side, the whole synagogue, all those Jews, and 150 uh, survivors of the Holocaust were there that night. And at the end, John Paul II said that um, he wanted a moment of silence because he said it was the sight at the end of this, you can imagine the music was very carefully orchestrated and chosen, yes? Very carefully. And music does bring uh, a good grieving, a good grieving. So there was a silence. And John Paul II apologized. I, and I shouldn't use that word. He asked forgiveness, not apology, because that's politically correct, yes? He asked forgiveness for the silence that had been timidity or the silence of a collaboration in the war. And then said, but now we have a contemplative silence, a silence that brings us together. And the silence had been evoked through the music. Yes, can, can you imagine? Or you're, you're petering out on me, I can see. Okay, and then, um, oh, back. Then he had, because this is, he's always consistent, and, and you can read more about all the ins and outs of it in, in that wonderful book. After September 11th, a one-year anniversary, so in 2002, there was a, co a concert of tolerance and mutual respect. A co another concert, because uh, how many agree? Like mu music would be a good way? You know, I, I know, I remember when the, the priest scandal first emerged and the bishops' conference, there was a, a mass, and I, I can still remember they, they they used the hymn "There Is a Balm in Gilead." How many know that hymn? It's an ancient, uh, spiritual. There is a balm. I won't sing it for you, <laughs> but um, it, it was it was it was good because the, the music is what brought a, a, a sense of of the goodness of mercy and forgiveness and healing. So uh, here again a concert of mutual respect, um, which gives, he said, entrusting ourselves to the universal power of music, and then another concert um, that was uh, a concert of reconciliation. Okay, the next, a quickie, are you all right? Um, John Paul was always looking forward to the, the millennium. From 1994 until the year 2000, that was six years of preparation, six years of preparation for the millennium. And in his document, Terzio Millennio Adveniente, TMA, all right, he announced that there was to be a preparation. And now we get to, all right, we have mercy, forgiveness, ready to give it, but the reality is sin. Sin. And so we always have to remember it's sin and the mystery of forgiveness. And so he asked... In 1994, he asked for a six-year preparation in which, over and over again, he says the church, the church, so it's an ecclesial event now, can never forget the prayer that is a cry for the mercy of God. We need to cry out for God's mercy. Why? Because of sin. 
1994, he announces six years. And during those years, the church is to perform a critical self-evaluation. We are to look at ourselves. He said to a journalist that we are, let me find that. Um, oh, goodness. At the, second, at the end of the second millennium, we must make an examination of conscience, where we are, where Christ has brought us, and where we have deviated from the gospel. Now that's telling, isn't it? Where we are in the past and where we have deviated. And then he specifies how we have deviated through the lack of witness in our own lives. Akatoli, he did a study of John Paul II's uh, writings, messages, and he noted that it, within 10 years, this book was first published in the eight, late 80s, John Paul II had said, I ask forgiveness. We ask God's forgiveness. It was sinful too, over 94 times, explicitly, over 94 times. So now we move into 94 to 2000, over and over again, and explicit. This was controversial. Not everyone at the Vatican was a happy camper with John Paul II being so explicit about this. Are you with me? Right? So it wasn't, you know, not everybody likes this mercy or admitting wrong. But as he had stated, you know, himself, to acknowledge sin, to recognize oneself as a sinner, capable of sin, inclined to commit sin, is the first what? It's the first step. It's the first step. Going back to Genesis. How many have studied Genesis? All right. What, what's, God's, what's God's first question? It's one word in Hebrew. One word in Hebrew. Ayeka, where are you? Ayeka. Is that a good word? Let's say it out loud. Ayeka, where are you? you know, where are you? And Adam, you know, was, and they were what? Hiding. But for us, right now, where are we? And we are sinners <laughs> in need of God's mercy. All right. End of homily. Okay. I love that, Ayeka. Isn't that good? One word, awake or upper. And so then he says that in the year of mercy, and 2000 was called the year of mercy, the jubilee year, the year of mercy. Um, truthfully, I went through the year 2000, and I didn't know it was called the year of mercy. Did you? I just wasn't alert to that. But it was, it was the year of mercy. And he said in that year, the church should kneel before God and implore forgiveness. Kneel before God. Let us forgive and ask forgiveness over and over and over again. Name it and claim it. And so we had a universal day of prayer for forgiveness. That was the official title, a universal prayer for forgiveness, to ask for forgiveness in the journalists' The journalists took it, and they called it the day of, a, of pardon or the day of apology and twisted it a little bit, uh, as, they, as they usually do. But on that day, that day of pardon, specific alertness to racism, war, violence in the service of truth, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And um, on that day of pardon, uh, John Paul II entered St. Peter's, of course, in purple. It was in March. March 12th, Lent, and stopped at the Pieta to pray. 
And then in the front of St. Peter's was a, a very, very large cross from one of the ancient basilicas in Rome. And he embraced the cross because he's always into the gesture that he embraced the cross. And then there were petitions for forgiveness, but it's asking God for forgiveness for the specific sins. It wasn't an apology to people. You all right? Yes? Okay, a, a very moving day, that day of, of, of penance and uh, the examination of conscience. And then finally, are we all right? Finally, um, key images, he continues with his visit to the Holy Land, and he called that, all right, and this is still in the year what? Two, 2000, March 12th, the day of asking forgiveness, the prayer for forgiveness. March 20th, he ends up at in the Holy Land. Six days of intense emotion. Of those, in light of our topic today, he called the, the visit. He never used the word trip. It was always a visit, uh, a pilgrimage, excuse me, a pilgrimage. And this one was called a pilgrimage of prayer, hope and what? and reconciliation. That was the contact, not political, but reconciliation. So now he's an older John Paul II. And of all those six days, what has captured people's imaginations? My friend C.S. Lewis, how many of your friends with C.S. Lewis? I'll come back for a talk on C.S. Lewis. He said, reason is the organ of truth, imagination is the organ of meaning. Reason is the organ of truth. Imagination is the organ of meaning. So images and Yad Vashem. Yad Vashem. Picture is there. And again, returning to silence. The theme of what? Silence. Some issues, some matters are beyond words. And he stood there before that flame. And he said, I stand here in silence, a silence to what? Remember, He's all, remembering is always important. We can't forget the past. A silence to pray and a silence to what? To hope, to hope because mercy and forgiveness is always linked with hope. At the end of that, there were 10 Holocaust survivors and two of them he knew personally one was the woman that he had saved. She was 13 years old. Remember, mercy is compassion and what? Forgiveness. And she was lying on, uh, he found her, 13 years old. She'd been released from a camp because she had TB. And he fed her tea and bread and took her to an orphanage. He carried her. She's 69 years old now and meet, meets the Pope, so he embraces her. And then, of course, the last one was his friend Jersey Kluger, his friend from, from school days. So it was a very emotional event um, that was what's linked, of course, with mercy and forgiveness. And then finally, he goes to the, the Wailing Wall and uh, places there that, that great prayer of asking again, God to give forgiveness for uh, the at-a-distance relationships with the Jews, okay? Uh, I like a little chuckle here. Um, the rabbi in New York, when he died, said, 
when the Pope died, my phone rang within, within minutes. It was my daughters calling to see if I was okay. So when the Pope dies and the daughters of a Jew, a rabbi, called a check-in, you know the world has changed. And it did. You know, it did. It changed for that. And he, we conclude with, all right, and because coming up, Divine Mercy Sunday, the liturgical impact, of course, was Blessed Faustina, and um, whom he called the Secretary of God's Mercy, the Apostle of God's Mercy. He came to know her when he was of her, when he was a youth. He was at work with the beatification. And then he surprises the world. First saint of the new millennium. The first saint of the new millennium is Saint Faustina. And of course, linked with it, divine mercy. The idea of divine mercy. Uh, and at that event, he surprised the world with a second <laughs> courageous creativity. And he said the second Sunday will always be now officially cele celebrated throughout the world as what, everyone? Divine Mercy Sunday. And that, he's not rooting it in um, specifically Faustina and her teaching, but the tradition of the church. And it was, we're here with a, an Augustinian campus. Yes? And it was St. Augustine who said that the eighth day was the compendium of the days of mercy. Is that good? I found that quote. And then John Paul himself said, the whole octave is like a single day to celebrate this mercy um, that is the gift that is Easter. That is, and on that day, the liturgical readings are all set. On that day, because you'll all be at Mass because it's Sunday, right? And the, the, um, the psalm response is the one that every time there's a verse from the psalm, we go, his mercy endures forever, his mercy endures forever, his mercy, uh, 26 times. Is that good? All right, amen. And then in 2002, he said, I wish to entrust the whole world to divine mercy, God's merciful love, linked up, of course, with Faustina. And he closes his document, and I'll, I'll close now, with, um, of course, Mother of Mercy, and his second, I think, most famous descriptive of mercy. Mercy is love's second name, and mercy is the kiss. Mercy is the kiss that we give to justice. And it comes from the end here where he says that no one has experienced to the same degree as the Mother of Mercy, the mystery of the cross, that love, that kiss, given by mercy to justice. So beautiful. Yeah, yeah that, that kiss that we give to justice, that we all desire that kiss, yes? From those we live with. I live with one sister here, yes? So I desire that kiss and uh, this call to mercy, uh, final, final comment, his final witness, uh, Andre Frossard, interviewed John Paul II and wrote the book, Be Not Afraid, the interview. All right, Frassard was a, a, a convert from atheism, French journalist. And at the end of his, of his book, he writes, and since prayer is the only weapon employed by this pope, I asked him one last question. That was to receive the shortest answer in this dialogue. John Paul II was never at a loss for words. You're thinking neither is Sister Sheila. I asked him what his prayer for the world was. 
I asked him what his prayer for the world was. And John Paul II said, I call on mercy. Yes, I call on, on mercy. Amen. Thank you for listening.